Welcome to the Everything Theatre Interviews. As regular listeners will know, we chat each week to theatre creatives. That could be writers, directors, actors, even the people running the venues. And usually we have an emphasis on fringe theatre and theatre outside of London sometimes. You can find out more about Everything Theatre on our website. That's at everything-theatre.co.uk, where you'll find all our reviews, interviews and previous podcasts. You can also hear the podcast interviews on our radio show. That's at runradio.com. Run is spelt R-U-N-N. Every Wednesday between 8 and 10.30. And then repeated Saturday between 3 and 5.30. Right, and that's all said. Let's dive straight into this week's interview. Today, I've got Kate Webster, who is the writer, and Lou Colburn, who is director of an upcoming show, Mavoran, which I think we're going to pronounce in about 10 different ways. I know I will by the end of this, um, which is coming to Barons Court Theatre, 17th and 28th of January. Lou, Kate, love to meet you both. Do you want to quickly introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourselves? Sure. Uh, hi, my name's Lou. I'm the artistic director of Marvelous Machine Theatre Company and the director of this piece written by Kate. Um, and yeah, I'm the writer. So I've I've written this play. There are also other things I've written, but uh, yeah, really happy to be working with Lou and Marvelous Machine to put this on stage. What can you tell us about the play? I mean, um, one that what the title is all about, and, and why we've all can't decide how it's pronounced, yeah. and um, what 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 people can expect if they come along and see this. Sure. Um. So firstly, about the title. Um. It's a an which is why we're all slightly struggling with the pronunciation, uh, but which means mermaid. So that's always kind of in the development of the play, the idea of mermaid, sort of mermaid is a, a metaphor for identity and for the way that people are more than one thing has always been quite central to the play as we've developed it together. Um, and also really because the play is so ground, so much grounded in Cornwall, I really like the idea of it, it being a Cornish word and is not calling it, you know, mermaids, for example, which just, you know, we've all seen the share film, that was great, but it, it didn't feel appropriate to this. Um, so yeah, something that, that is kind of m- much more Cornish and thinking about that whole idea of, yes, you know, somebody who can live on the land and on the sea. Can I, no, neither of you are from Cornwall though, are you? No, we're not. <laughs> So, so what what was what what is what brought you to want to write a play on, sort of based on some Cornish sort of myth? Um, so I I can probably speak to that. Um, it would I didn't set out to write a Cornish play. That isn't originally where it came from. So this was much more an idea about. Um, thinking about a, a society where kind of women make the rules and and women run things, um, which really boringly but true actually came out of a BBC two documentary um but having sort of had that idea and you know had all sorts of different thinking about what that might look like and you know on stage how could that work and I was really keen that I didn't want that to be sort of on another planet somewhere or even on another continent you know I really wanted it to feel sort of here now today and in thinking about where in the UK, you know, would that feel plausible? Where, you know, how might you situate that and go, yeah, no, that that seems like a thing that could happen. You know, this isn't a far-fetched tale that you're spinning. 
Um, and Cornwall, for lots of reasons, seemed to really fit that, both because of the sort of the, the kind of myths and fairy tales of Cornwall, you know, from the Mermaid of Senna, which is included in the play, um, to, you know, Arthurian myths and Tristan and Isolde. So it's got all of that, you know, background of kind of fairy tale, oral history, myth. But also just the fact that kind of because Cornwall is, is so big and some areas of it are so remote, it felt like just in practical terms, this is somewhere that our community could exist and sort of not be obvious to the world, you know, without it being on an island somewhere or, you know, in some kind of baddies volcano lair. And this is this is the first time you've worked together, yeah? Because, say, Lou, this is your production company of Marvelous Machine Theatre, isn't it? Um, is this, this the first time you've worked together, yeah? No, actually. Oh, okay. um, we have um, worked together for a number of years, really, on a couple of little things. But this is our first uh, big show. We actually, um, I think, did we meet on Twitter first, Kate? And then we did. We, we met on the yeah. hashtag. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, the old Vic hashtag. That's right. And then, coincidentally, um, we then were paired together for a sort of a new writing festival mm. scratch night sort of event at Theatre Technus. Uh, that's um, the, so the current people who run the Barons Court Theatre, Leo and Sharon, were running uh, Theatro Technus at the time, so that's where we got that relationship as well. Yeah. And now that we've been working on this project sort of over the pandemic and developing the script together, um, we approached them and asked if they'd like to put, put it on, and they said yes. So, <laughs> what, what is it about this play you felt was a good fit then for what you want to do at Marvellous Machine? Hmm. Um, well, so the reason that we met over the old Vic hashtag was because uh, a lot of the sort of stylistic uh, choices that we make with Marvelous Machine uh, really fits like a sort of fairy tale aesthetic or a magic realism aesthetic. So we have worked on adaptations like uh, we did a production of The Tiger's Bride by Angela Carter. Um, that was our first ever show, which we did in a tiny room above a pub. And then it later transferred to the Burton Taylor studio in Oxford. And then we later did an adaptation of uh, Orlando by Virginia Woolf. And both of those have this sort of slightly sort of mystical feel to them and so when we did a call out on that day uh with the hashtag we were looking specifically for things with a sort of mystical or mythic sort of feel to them and kate approached us with the script and we just thought it was a really great fit we also like to center female and non-binary stories this is a, a three-hander about women uh, it's a three-hander for three women about running a society entirely run by women so couldn't be better, really. Is, is there a lot? I mean, and again, there's there's um, the women run society takes back to sort of a lot of mythology, doesn't it? Um, the Amazons. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know. I'll be honest, I don't know much about Cornish mythology. That one is sort of all new to me. But there's also from what the trailer I've seen as a feel of the Wicker Man to this as well. Is that what you was aiming for? Those sort of styles. Yeah, I think that that's exactly what we were looking for. And because some of this, so the the story starts with two of our three characters, you know, coming from Manchester to this very remote Cornish village. And there is that, you know, sort of the Wicker Man, a local place for local people, you know, something that's just a little bit uncanny, something that isn't kind of expected to them, you know, that isn't every day. 
and part of what's happening in the play is sort of unraveling that and going well what what is that you know what what is it that's going on here that does feel a little bit spooky and i feel is is i mean is it set in the present day yeah very much so so set 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 now set in a i mean we we've invented the specific village but set in a village that absolutely could exist in cornwall with people of today yeah so it you know it certainly uses mythic elements and kind of draws on fairy tale you know draws on that whole tradition but it's very deliberately a here and now story and i mean how do you balance up these sort of these sort of the myth calls the present then is that is there going to be a major contrast? Is this about is this about the contrast between outsiders coming in into a, a village still set in the past or something? Is is that what you, is that going to be part of it? I think definitely the contrast of you know the the village and the outside world. Absolutely, that that's really key. Um, I think not so much because you know the village is tin and og or whatever, and you know is is an actual magical realm not accessible to other people. But um, there are some very obvious differences anyway. You know, if you're coming from a big city like Manchester, as two of the characters are, to somewhere very small and rural where everyone knows each other, you know, already there is a big culture clash there without there being anything, you know, unusual about that village. And actually, in this case, there is something unusual. There is something that the village isn't necessarily, you know, shouting about to the rest of the world that it's quite keen to keep sort of just, you know, hidden by obscurity. So, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that, that conflict, that contrast, I guess I'd say, is, is absolutely kind of woven throughout the play. And it is also about, you know, not just that that exists, but why does that exist? You know, what are the choices that people have made and continue to make, you know, and, and to just slight tangent but you know i think we we all sort of tend to assume that you know the way things are is the way that they have to be but actually that isn't necessarily true and you know there are all kinds of choices that we make about the way we each individually live you know collectively about the way we organize society and maybe we tend to forget that those are choices so that's very much a, another theme in the play i think is looking at this community that kind of that that is different to go oh okay you know well why how what what are, what choices have they made why have they made those choices um, to create something that is is like this and not as we might usually expect and the play deals a lot with uh, sort of different dichotomies as well as the sort of inside and outside of the village it's looking at uh, things like maybe paganism versus Christianity or looking at uh, sort of men versus women as a sort of... Like yeah, sort of capitalism versus community, maybe, yeah. Capitalism and community, exactly. Uh, and sort of what those sort of dichotomies are and the choices we make, like Kate said, to, to reach one of those. Now, you're playing at Baron's Court Theatre. Did you say you've done some scratch nights there already? Do you mean? Uh, uh, yeah, we both have, but separately, actually. The one yeah, we did together was right. the Theatre yeah. Tetanus before it was the Gates. So, yeah, so you know Baron's Court well, Baron's Court Theatre well. What's it like directing a, a play that's going to be in that space? Because it's quite an interesting space, isn't it? 
It is. It's a little bit of a challenge. Um, it's actually going to be the first thing that I've directed for uh, a thrust space. So that's a really exciting opportunity to, to flex some different skills and muscles that I've not really had opportunity to yet, um, other than on this very small scale doing a scratch night. It's exciting. It's uh, the main challenges are that the audience is sort of all on the left hand side of the stage. So the majority of them are. And then you have a few seats in front of you and a few on the right, which is a little unusual. Um, so that's a little bit of a challenge. But also the sort of the longer term ambitions for the player actually to uh, scale it up later down the line. So this is our just our first initial version of the play, um, which is going to be really fantastic. And it's going to have our digital community choir. But in the long term, we hope that it will be an outdoor performance. Mm -hmm. And we would like to do it on uh, bandstands. So doing it in this space with uh, sort of this limited uh, floor space and with, uh, you know, audience, maybe not quite where you would normally expect them to be um, is sort of an opportunity to, to sort of start thinking about how it's going to translate to that space later down the line. From, from a directing point of view, a sight line is something you really have to think about, let's say, because anyone who's been to Brown's Court Theatre know there's some lovely big pillars right in the corners, isn't there? Do you have to um, sort of sit back and think, okay, do I have to think about sight lines? Do these people need to be here or here yeah. to, to get around that? lots of sitting on the three different sides during rehearsals and thinking about where those pillars are going to be um but we're, we're really lucky that we've managed to book a, a week's rehearsal in the space before we go up so we're going to have that whole week to get used to uh how that space feels and um where it's safe to stand so that you're you're in sight lines um yeah <laughs> And, and, and I think the, oh. the intimacy of that space actually will be really helpful that the audience are surrounding it, that they are up close. You know, it's not that sort of West End back of the balcony experience you've probably all had where, you know, you can feel very separate from the performance and a very long way away from the performers, which, yes, I think is, is not what we were looking for. And especially, I won't give it away, but especially I think at the end of the play, there's a particular moment where we really want to kind of bring the whole audience in. And actually the space at Barron's Court is, is absolutely perfect for that. It's definitely one of the most intimate spaces you'll find, isn't it? Have you, have you been there recently? Yes, I uh, I had a short piece there in their Reboot Festival a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, very recently. I need to ask, have they sorted those chairs out yet? <laughs> the, the chair I was in was absolutely rock solid. I can't claim to have sat in every chair around the auditorium, but mine was perfectly comfortable. They were doing, I know they were sort of doing a little bit of fundraiser to replace all the seats. So I just wonder if they've got around to replacing them or not yet, because there are a few seats in there that you just can't, you know, there are springs coming through cushions and that in there. That, that would not be ideal, yes. But, keep the audience on their toes and, and yes. But I know, because they've just taken over the marriage. I, I suppose a bit, how long have they been running the Baron's Court now? About, about a well, year or so now? Up to a year, I think. So I know they've got plans for it. It was always, it's, I say, it's, it's a great fringe venue, but it was always a bit strange how it operated. So it's nice to see people going in there now and actually trying to run it mm. rather than just as a rental out space. They look like they're trying to do something different with it, don't they? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think it's really nice to see somebody sort of actively program a venue rather than just, as you say, you know, it's a rental space. Whoever wants to come in can come in. Um, and I think, you know, obviously for, for performers and companies that has benefit, but I really think it has benefit for the audience as well. That you know, they're, they're being offered a program that someone has consciously chosen 
and gone, you know, not not just we think these shows are good, but, you know, hopefully we think all of this fits together. You know, it's sort of each show talks to the others. It all sort of, you know, in, informs the rest of it in interesting ways rather than, well, somebody wanted to do a three-man importance of being earnest, so here we are. Uh, and they really have um, emerging makers at their heart as well. It's really a big part of their philosophy. So um, they're really supportive, lovely people and um, making it as, as accessible as possible for us and the other companies who come in and showcasing emerging actors as well as writers and directors on a really regular basis, actually, um, which, is, which is really fantastic, especially, you know, there's not enough of that even on the fringe. Mm. Yeah, I've noticed they've been promoting this. I've I've seen them sort of in their schedule sometimes. They do, like say, they do scratch nights, which obviously you've been involved in. And I've noticed that they do writers' nights and that. So it does look like they're really trying to do something new. It, and it is, as you say, it's one of those things that's quite vital and not enough theatres do it for different reasons. So it is good to see what they're doing down there. Right, let's get back to the play then. Music by or music arrangements by Becky Jane Reed, who is part of the Marvelous Machine. Now, I saw on your website you've put in you you were putting a call out for people to be part of the digital choir. How did that go? Uh, yeah, pretty well. We've had quite a few people come forward. Um, a few people have also come forward directly through Becky. So, um, just after Christmas, we're going to be sending them all of the information that they need to be involved. Um, if anyone else is interested in being involved in our digital community choir, um, we'd love to hear from you. Just have a look on our website, marvelousmachine.com. Uh, be on the Mulverin page and you can sign up. Um, so all everyone needs will be a microphone and a quiet place that they can they can record and a, even just a phone is perfectly good. Um, in fact, I don't think they even need a microphone. I think um, they can just use a computer or phone and then Becky will be stitching it all together and making making this beautiful soundtrack of original music for the for the play. Brilliant. So uh, so is sound is the sound and the music going to be a big part of this play? Yeah, so sort of part of the idea with the choir is that they stand in for the rest of this village where um, where we don't have, you know, uh, a cast of 20 actors. Yeah. It's going to be your ensemble. And I think we, we were really keen to bring in, you know, literally and metaphorically sort of pieces and, and the idea of, yes, yeah, sort of being able to hear the village even though we won't physically see all of them on stage, seemed really important. And also, I think, ties into a lot of the themes of the play, you know, around kind of oral history and storytelling and the way that music often is a big part of the tradition of, of communities, maybe particularly rural communities. Um, so, yeah, that, that seemed kind of really integral to the whole thing um, and the way Becky's sort of, yes, creating that, you know, bringing original music to the play, I think it's going to be something really special. I mean, I've, I've seen quite a few plays since the isolation seems to be a common theme, I think probably because we spent two years in lockdown and I've, I've seen quite, I saw quite a lot of plays in the last 12 months based in little seaside villages and that. So I'm, I'm picturing this to have, Sort of, are you working on the sort of the sound of the waves washing against the shore and that we go get a lot of those sort of village or sort of seaside town sounds in this play are we 
Yeah, Becky's um, thinking about how how is it that she can use the sort of soprano voices, especially um, to sort of create birds and use the altos to create seascapes. Um, we're drawing inspiration from a lot of different sort of musical sources, like movies and uh, even Disney movies and um, we're looking into traditional women's folk music from Cornwall um, and a few other places in the UK, but Cornwall in particular. Um, and also sort of harking back to this idea of uh, being more than one thing. We're also experimenting with uh, bringing in some more uh, contemporary folk, um, which is more experimental and more electronic mm. um, towards the end of the play as well. And as far as Baron's Court then, so I mean, Baron's Court, just remind people why we're out here. Baron's Court, 17th, 28th of January, so you've got 10 shows going on there. You're then taking it to Oxford for a few nights, aren't you? And then back to London at the Space. I think you've mentioned you want to then take it out to bandstands or, you know, try and do it as an outdoor thing. I take it that's going to be more of a summer thing, is it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Definitely not something for January that you can. <laughs> well, the play is very much set at summer as well. It's uh, it's uh, one of the big events in the play is, is a midsummer festival. Um, so that will be, you know, really well suited. And we hope that um, we'll be able to run some sort of carnival making um, workshops as well. And that the choir members that we recruit to be part of the in-person choir for the for the next stage of the production will um, bring in the floats and things that we make with them as part of the that festival scene and um, yeah but um, we're really excited about how we're going to create those on this small scale as well because I think that's what we really specialize in actually is is sort of creating this sort of sense of wonder even though we're working in a very challenge challengingly small space <laughs> yeah. that, that's very much the marvelous machine aesthetic isn't it yeah. sort of making something kind of bigger and more wonderful than you expected in what might seem a sort of yes a, a limited circumstance um and i think you know the, these shows in london and oxford are going to be sort of our our first opportunity to sort of share this piece with an audience which is really exciting um and to, you know discover maybe can you know what works what doesn't are there any you know little tweaks that we want to make especially thinking about you know then that hopeful future bigger version as it moves outside um you know what what might we discover in this indoor version that perhaps we hadn't thought about the ambition is very much to take the uh, outdoor version outside of London uh, and reach some of those coastal communities which don't have as much of an arts offering as, as we do in London. So this is very much your only opportunity to catch it in London. <laughs> yeah. Um, and did you say you got, did you say you come from, one of you come from Oxford? Did you mention Oxford earlier? Uh the company started in Oxford. I was living up there for about six years, uh, just working up there. I didn't study there. Um, that's where Becky and I met when we were both working in the local theatre up there and decided we wanted to make a, sh make a show together. So, it's, uh, Is that why you're taking it to Oxford then? You've got a connection with that yeah. venue? That's right, yeah. Uh, it, it looks very random. It's all London, Oxford, London. So I didn't want to talk about the Oxfords. Oh, no, there, there is reasoning behind all of this, absolutely. Um, and I think even, you know, although two London, two London spaces might seem slightly counterintuitive, but I think, you know, we, we thought, um, thought quite carefully about, you know, the location of those, for example. So, you know, Barons Court, the space, obviously in, in completely different areas of London. 
where you know we think actually audiences will realistically be very different you know i I suspect there aren't going to be lots of people um looking to travel from the isle of dogs you know out west of baron's court for example Mm. um and also the nature of those two spaces that you know as we've said baron's court is is very intimate has a relatively small stage space the, st- the space is, you know, is much more flexible. It's a converted church. So, you know, that the quality of that is just, is a, a different experience for an audience. Um, and something they're also able to offer, which is interesting, is a streaming performance. And that's something they've been doing quite a lot. I mean, both during the pandemic when the venue yeah. wasn't open to audiences, but something that they've also committed to since then. Yeah, their streaming is, is really good usually. So we, be honest, have have a few times sort of jumped on the stream rather than actually go make my way down to that venue. Yeah, yeah but- absolutely. And and personally, you know, I I think while obviously streaming theatre is not the same experience as being in the venue. I do think it's really important that we carry on thinking about how performance can be accessible to a wider range of people and to, you know, people who either the building may not be accessible for them or 7.30pm on a weeknight isn't accessible for them. And just, yes, to think about how, how do we expand the audience? How do we reach the people who would, you know, would be interested in this, that it, you know, would get something out of it? not only the people who are, you know, the, the obvious theatre crowd mm. in gigantic inverted commas. Yeah. Do, you have to, are, are you, do you have to think differently as well, Lou, when you're sort of, okay, so when you go to the space, do you have to then reconsider how you put it on for the streaming audience or do you just put it on for the stage and then worry about the streaming afterwards? Streaming isn't something that I've done before. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of hoping that I'll uh, be able to have sort of a meeting with the space before that and talk about how that's going to work, especially working it from uh, the sort of very, like Kate was saying, the intimacy of the Barons Court space Mm. and the thrust layout, how that's going to be quite a challenge because it's not the same as obviously a a, a proscenium arch works very well on a screen. So, yeah, definitely something I'll be considering a little further down the line. Yeah, Matt, Matt, and Adam at the space will 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 guide you through the stream inside of it. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're pretty much experts by now. I think they probably. they are becoming very good at it. When they first started, it was literally a camera up on the balcony and a camera down below, and they would just occasionally flip from one to the other. And now I think they've got three or four cameras, and they actually do directing. When you watch it now, they'll flip from camera to camera depending on the shots. They've obviously put that it's into... much more sophisticated, I think. And I know I um, I did a piece there at the end of last year with Rising Tides Theatre Company oh, as yeah. part of a, a selection of pieces on climate change where they paired up writers with climate change experts. Great project. And a, a couple of those pieces were were staged in thrust um and that was absolutely fine i mean i don't think it presented any problems with streaming yeah. at all. and if anything it was probably slightly more interesting for the audience than sort of you know looking at a proscenium something that feels a bit like a tv screen of like no no it, it isn't a tv screen it's a live performance as they've been doing the sort of the streaming they've they've clearly sort of they've learned i think they learn as they go along and they're getting very good at it so the one thing i will say you have to watch out for is sound that's the one. That's the one thing I've said to him a few times. Sometimes, especially if you're doing it in a thrust or something, 
if if people are moving too far away, the the sound quality you you, start, you hear the volume dip as people walk away from the microphones. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's something one of the challenges, I guess, of of streaming. You know, a live performance mm. in the kind of space that wouldn't normally be micing performers. You know, wouldn't normally need to worry about the sound balance. Obviously, if you're then capturing it, that's a slightly different thing. And um, besides this play, then which obviously it sounds like you've got lots of plans for next year, though. Do you have anything else in the pipeline for 2023 yet, then? From a Marvelous Machine perspective, as individually? Either. Have you, I mean, I assume you're writing all the time, and I assume Marvelous Machines are looking at new projects already, are you? We've got a few <laughs> ideas in the bag. Um, there's a few adaptations that I'm thinking about writing, um, sort of TBC on a lot of that, though, because um, I'm sort of waiting for rights to become available and uh, that kind of thing. But, yeah, definitely always looking for more projects. Um, are you writing something new at the moment, Kate? Pretty, as you say, pretty much always, yes. So I've, I've just recently started work on a brilliant family audio project uh, called Who Ate All The Pies? Might, might be my favourite title of anything I've ever worked on, um, which is actually going to be on the Isle of Dogs, so not, not very far from the space, nice link there. And that's been really fun to do. So they've got a team of, I think there are 10 writers contributing to that, and the idea is it will all be sort of GPS-triggered and sort of encouraging families to explore the area Brilliant. with you know these kind of audio stories and these different characters that are con- going to come in so that's been really fun um and then i'm also working with a forest theater company who are up in yorkshire on a play of mine called shed because it's set in a shed um on again actually hopefully outdoors what what we'd love to be able to do with that is a sort of back garden tour but we think probably more more logistically possible is to be looking at sort of something like a cricket club or perhaps a park um as a venue but yeah and that's sort of i mean surprisingly similar things to more in many ways it's kind of about you know family and legacy and the sort of we make about how we're going to live um so yeah we'll sort of we're, we're actively working on that at the moment um so yes just you know the eternal questions of venues and funding so just to close things off then so um let's have a 60 second sales pitch and i'm going to try and say the name again Mavaran, Mavaran. what is it that should be making us come down to Sprans court theater in january to come and see this show so more than something that you won't have seen on stage before it's a celebration of community, a coming of age for three generations of women, including original music and a whole digital choir of women's voices. Uh, it's a play about how we might organise the world differently that I think is a real breath of fresh air for the new year. And Luke, anything to add? <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't realise you were going to come to me as well. <laughs> uh, well I might as well. Okay, it's great. <laughs> And so just just to remind, so yeah, Barons Court Theatre, 17th, 28th of January, 7.30 each night, Tuesday through to Saturday, I assume. Indeed it is, yes. Oh, yeah. And I, I know I'd say I I've I know it's wrapping up there, but I've got what I've got to ask you. Um how how much do, as as director then, how much does do you do you invite the writer into rehearsals mm-hmm. and the audition even auditioning? Is it is it a joint process or as director do you like is there almost, do you find there needs to be a separation at this point? Well, we've sort of just been finding our way with that, really. So since it's the first time we've we've worked together, um, very much, you know, I've wanted Kate's input along the way on various things. Um, 
and uh, you know we've sort of gone back and forth about little script things you know uh, but Kate hasn't actually been in rehearsal yet because Kate works full-time like so many of us in the yeah. arts do and you know uh, we we have to squeeze in these sort of visits when when we can um, but Kate's hoping to make it to the first day of rehearsal back after the new year yeah. I think absolutely and i'm looking forward to that yeah i think it you know I, I love to be in a rehearsal room i think at the same time as a writer i'm i'm my view is always kind of i want to be there if it's in any way helpful to have me there feel the need of sort of oh i've got to be in you know every rehearsal just in case partly because i think it you know it can be a bit inhibiting sometimes the director or for the performer you know if they feel like all oh, the writers you know con constantly hovering over me and that's absolutely not what I want you know I think personally one of my favorite things about theatre is that it's a collaboration and and absolutely you know Lou and the cast are gonna come up with things imagine things have questions that you know had not occurred to me at all and that's great you know that's the absolutely brilliant part of this process so just to recap oh dear couldn't you have picked an easier name um mavoven mavoran baron's court theater 17th 28th january 7 30 each night and say baron's call is is a it's a it's a great little fringe venue it's a little basement venue isn't it it's five minute walk from baron's court station on the piccadilly and district line so no excuse you can't get there lou kate Absolutely fascinating to chat to you. Really enjoyed that. Thanks so much for your time and say, and good luck with the show in probably a couple of weeks' time. Thanks very much, Rob. Great to talk to you. We hope you enjoyed this week's interview. And if you're interested in being a future guest, just drop us a line to info at everything theatre.co.uk. And there's plenty more to read on our website. And more podcasts listening, if you want to pop over there. So, yeah, our website again is everything-theatre.co.uk, where you'll see all our reviews, interviews, and podcasts. We've got lots more new interviews coming up in future weeks as well. So, make sure you check back regularly and give us a follow so you don't miss a thing. Thanks so much for listening.